Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download our Veritas app, Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, hit that little bell. We're told it does something good for us um, and all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Donald Haggerty. And we are going to be discussing his book, very important book, Conversion, Spiritual Insights into an Essential Encounter with God. And for those of you who do not know Father Haggerty, I want to give a brief introduction. Father Donald Haggerty is a priest of the Archdiocese of New York and has been a professor of moral theology at St. Joseph Seminary in New York and Mount St. Mary Seminary in Maryland. He has a long association as a spiritual director for Mother Teresa's Missionary of charity, and he travels throughout the world giving retreats to Mother Mother Teresa's sisters who are close to his heart. Um, He's spent five years studying to be a priest, or he did spend five years studying to be a priest for the missionaries of charity before deciding to become a diocesan priest. He is also the author of the books Contemplative Hunger and Contemplative Provocations. Father Romana Cesario, OP, professor of theology at St. John's Seminary, had this to say about Father Haggard. Book, quote, no task presses more urgently upon the church today than preaching the call to conversion, and no greater tragedy exists for the human creature than to miss being converted. Close quote. Father Donald Haggerty, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you, Joe, and thank you, Joe, my friend from the past, from the Missionary Charity. Thank yes, you. yes, it's good. It's good to hear your voice, to be honest with you. I miss those days. Hopefully when the kids get older, we can bring them back over there. It'll be definitely good, not only for them, but for me and my wife. Father, would you lead us in prayer to start the conversation? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We turn to our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, 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 pray for us, pray for us, and now and the hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, Father, as Joe said, I know you uh, work with the missionaries of charity, and they had a deep impact on you. They had a deep impact on me. I always say, I mean, I spent seven years with them. I almost feel like that was my uh, novitiate before I got married. They basically prepared me for the vocation of marriage. But I know that you work with them, and that basically impacted your decision to become a priest. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, my, my first contact with the sisters was in Harlem, and I was working actually for a priest who ran a shelter for the homeless as part of the Emmaus House program. And I got to know the sisters by dropping off bread and vegetables to them once a week, or actually three times a week. And we had our own soup kitchen, and we had extra things. So I got to know the sisters in Harlem, and then one time, one day... After doing that for two years, I said to one sister, sister, I have to do something more with my life. I'm not sure. And she said to me, we have a shelter in the the Bronx, and I'm sure we could use you there. So I did call the regional superior, Sister Priscilla, and I ended up living in their shelter uh, for the homeless and helping, helping there for a year. And at that point, the Missionary of Charity Fathers was starting up. So, and Mother Teresa, I met for the first time then at that time, and I joined the the men's order, the priestly order of the Missionaries of Charity. That was my initial contact with the sisters. And frankly, they have been like a family to me uh, for over 35 years now since that time. And many opportunities came about 
during the seminary life with them, and then as a priest, much more. And then when I studied in Rome in graduate studies, I started to do retreats for them. Uh, and that became a worldwide thing during vacation times. So my, my life with the missionaries of charity has been, had, had a huge impact on me. I, I mean, it's it, the same with me. It's, it's, it's about radical conversion. I mean, um, their life is radical. And frankly, it's head turning. It, 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 to be honest with you, I think that is what we need. I always say on the show, Father, uh, it's saints that change the world and they live a saintly life. I have never seen, I could speak just for myself, a witness to that degree. I, maybe, there, maybe it's out there. I've just never seen it. One thing we try to really emphasize on the show, Father, is that yes, the the ABCs of the faith and the and those things like you know you get it's like going to the gym if you haven't been there for a while. You don't go in and start you know bench pressing three hundred pounds. You got to try to ease your way into it. So we always emphasize the ABCs, of course. You know, constant prayer, uh, going to mass every week, receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, frequent confession. But if there's one piece of advice that Joe and I try to give uh, on uh, many many shows, okay, especially when the subject comes up, is all Catholics should try to get involved with some of the orders, whether it's the missionaries of charity. Um, you mentioned the Sisters of Life before the show. My wife does a lot of work with them. CFRs, Franciscans. There's, as Joe was just saying, we can't overemphasize enough. Be around holy people, because it's obvious when they're when you're around them. It's like when you're in around people who are not so holy. That stuff kind of rubs off on you. All right. But when you're around these sisters, you know, particularly, okay, that holiness, they just exude that. And and mm -hmm. it's just so important. It elevates your faith life, in our opinion. What do you think about that, Father? I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that, and, and you, I think you see many young people have had that experience. You know, when I first knew the sisters, too, in the Bronx, again, over 35 years ago, they were a very young group, largely. You know, they had her... They, they had so many sisters come into the order in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. They were getting over 100, about 100 sisters professed every six months in Calcutta. So it was such a young, vibrant group also in, the, in those days, and energetic and happy, very attractive in their love for the poor. And as Joe was saying, you know, if, if people saw up close how the missionaries of charity have no regard for their own comfort. They live literally so poor and giving away everything that's you know good and, and what could be comfortable, all good food, all this goes to the poor people. And I think anybody who gets close to that, my parents got close to it, you, you can't but be affected by it to think you know, how happy these people are living just for God. So that definitely... I had a year in that shelter, and by the end of that year, I had been thinking of religious life or the priesthood, but that put a, that nailed it down. I had to do something now, you know, serious with my life after seeing that for a year. You know, I always say a couple things I talk to people, like say who are far from God. One thing I always say is adoration. Um, go into a church, say before the tabernacle, especially if the Eucharist is exposed. I don't believe in you, but I want to help me. God will. I'm convinced of that. I would lay everything down that I own on that bet that if someone consistently did that, because God loves everybody, that he would reach out to them. But this is another thing I also say to people. Reach out to the poor because Christ is fully present in the poor. You don't have to be Catholic to do that, but it will change you. And I have seen that working with the sisters in lower Manhattan. I've also seen that I've worked with them um, internationally in Haiti, as well as in India. I've worked with them in San Francisco. I have seen this people, some people who have no religious affiliation, but in working with the poor, Christ reaches a hand to them and changes their heart. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, we, if we turn to the gospel in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, it's not really a parable. And he says, I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me in prison. You visited me. What you did for the least of my brothers, you did to me. And really that's the right 
translation. I remember one time in a conversation with Mother Teresa, and I used the expression that we hear in the Mass, what you do for the least of my brothers, you do for me. Mother Teresa corrected me right away and said, no, the words are to me, that you're really touching the presence of Jesus Christ, where we have any contact encounter with the poor. And you know, so it's a gospel truth, you know, proclaimed by our Lord. And it's you, you began by speaking of adoration in the presence of the, of the Eucharist. You know, if you're in proximity to our Lord's real presence, or you're in proximity to his disguise, presence in the poor, he's going to do something there. He's going to draw out, you know, the heart and soul of a person. So I think, you know, you're absolutely right. If you put yourself, even sit down in a church, and you make this a habit every day, if you visit a church every day in front of the Blessed Sacrament, if you try to get some, you know, some regular contact with the poor, something's going to happen to the soul from that. I, I could tell you just a, a personal story I could remember. Um, when I was in India, um, the sisters would bring people in off the street and there was a man, obviously he was very dirty and they would give us this like oil to put on their skin because it would be very chafed from being, you know, out exposed to the elements. And this man wanted me to put the oil on his feet and he was filthy and I didn't want to do it. And he knew it. We didn't speak the same language. He knew that I didn't want to do it and I didn't want to do it. And, but he persisted. So I did it. And he began to weep. And I said to myself, that is Christ. And that is my reluctance to help him. Every day, how I am reluctant to help Jesus Christ. And that had a deep impact on me. I'll never forget it. And it's things like that, that I think, to be honest with you, people, you know, miss in our faith, to extend themselves, to get out of the boat. We have to get out of the boat. The times call for that, Father. Just uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network. We're talking about Father, we're talking with Father Donald Haggerty about his new book, Conversion, Spiritual Insights into an Essential Encounter with God. Let's uh, let's get a little bit into the book. Let's uh, talk about conversion. Obviously, we've laid some groundwork for that. Father, you, uh, the book itself is arranged as a collection of uh, concise meditative reflections which discuss the essential elements of a soul's return to God, conversion, okay? How is the return to God a lifelong journey as opposed to a one-time conversion moment? Joe just mentioned, uh, he's watching, well, you know, anointing a, a gentleman's feet. That's a moment in conversion. But how should we properly view conversion as something that takes place over the course of a lifetime? Well, my, my reason for writing the book was not to so much urge conversion, which we, you know, we, we always hear in, in the time of Lent, and, and most people are aware, you know, sometimes they need a conversion to come back to the faith, the practice of the faith. But my, my intent in writing this, and after hearing many convert, you know, confessions, too, at St. Patrick's Cathedral and over the years, teaching seminarians, I think it's a very crucial time after you return, perhaps, to the faith or return after a long time and make a good confession and get back into a state of grace. That's a very ripe time in life for God to work on someone. So much of this book is, you know, to address that kind of question, what kinds of symptoms would a person experience that are invitations from God to step, you know, forward, you know, to take another kind of leap in the life. And so that was really my intent. I think we can, we can speak of conversion anytime we go to a confession, but you know, this, this deeper layers that God is trying to invite us toward is conversions in marriage over the course of a marriage where you see something that you really didn't see before in your spouse. And now you love, her or him that much more. And I think in the priesthood, there are times when you see something that you didn't see, a kindness, you know, goes out to your heart and somebody perhaps in a confessional. Um, so the, the kind of 
being alert to God working on us is is part of that that ongoing conversion. But I, I do think immediately after, if you if you have a life where you drifted away, a lot of college kids have had this experience in the past. Many of us came from good Catholic families. We might have drifted away. If you come back, that's a serious moment in a life. It's not just get back to normality. Now is really the time when God might work on someone to, you know, bring them to a more radical choice. Like you mentioned just now, you know, go to mass every Sunday, have something, a prayer every day. I'll, I'll, you know, confess to you that when I, when I've been hearing confessions over years, some years now, I often tell people after big confessions, the people have been away for a while and, you know, they have serious things they're saying. I was telling people a lot in confessions, why don't you try to go to mass now every day? Mm. These were people working in New York. They could do that. Now go to mass every day. And I would say to them, you know, look at the, the, the crowd out here for daily mass. Many of those people may have been making a confession like you did today. And they started to go to mass every day. And years later, they're still doing the same thing. They got caught by the love for our Lord after such a confession. And I think that's a real thing that, you know, the downfall is also the beginning possibly of a great um, love for our Lord. You're talking basically about a personal response, obviously, after a, a, you know, a conversion of heart. And you discuss that in the book. You basically say that there's some fruits of of that initial conversion. Um, some of those fruits we talked about, love for the poor, simplicity of lifestyle, devotion to the Eucharist. Um, how like do you see that often in people when they when they have that type of conversion? I have seen it in people that I've worked with, with the CFRs, with the missionaries of charity. I've even seen it with myself. Um, you pare down your life, your priorities change. Um, I was going to say things become things that you might've been attached to become less important, absolutely. which is a function of grace. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Father, is that when you think about it, say, wow, that thing I used to do, whatever, 10 years, it just seems unimportant to me, you know? So, um, cause they, along the lines of what you were saying, my experience was, was, was similar to what Joe was describing is like God reaching down, uh, the moment of conversion, let's say when you come to the end of yourself, that's sure. one of the things Joe talk, Joe and I talk about on the show. When you come to the end of yourself, that's a moment for conversion right there. So, um, so yeah, I'm sorry. No, but, but even like, to be honest with you, I mean, this is almost horrible to say, but like when I was single, I almost, I didn't always master the single life, but I almost did at a point. I lived chase. I, I, I was uh, good with my time, with my money. I almost started to think, I swear that I wasn't a sinner. That's a sin to say, <laughs> but I'm being honest with you. I know you, but then I got married. And then it's almost like I didn't think I was going to get married. And God gave me, a, you know, a beautiful woman to marry. I have four children. And then all of a sudden, the old man started to come back. My irritations, my like, all of a sudden, I was like, I didn't even know that existed. And I almost think that that's why God let me get married, to show me that you're not perfect and you need continual conversion. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like, Healing the onion, so to speak, that God, you know, like there's so much more and so much deeper one can go. Well, I think that's exactly right. I think God, what God is doing in our lives, if we are responsive to it, he's trying to draw us to greater generosity. And, you know, marriage is, it's a, it's a good question. That description you just made now, you know, Joe, in your own personal life, I mean, maybe not with all, you know, the virtue, but many young people today are seem, you know, it's been going on for a while, but very hesitant to take that leap, even when they meet somebody, you know, very much a beautiful person, maybe a good Catholic, but they're afraid of that commitment to, you know, marriage, that lifelong commitment. And really what God is asking in that. You yourself right now have to live a much more generous life for children, marriage. You know, living a single life is not necessarily, doesn't have to be that generosity. And see, God will always, in the priesthood also, 
He tries to take us to stretch ourselves you know, more fully before him. I was going to say, though, also, I, I think the key is not just, okay, now let me, you know, try to tame down my spending or, you know, do a little volunteer work once a day. I think the key in all of this is choose a serious life of prayer. And if you can get into a church, find your way, you know, to daily mass, you know, pray a rosary maybe every day, get in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day, it's going to happen that something's going to be changing inside them, that the interior life is affected by the life of prayer. And then these other things begin to, you know, prod and push one and you become attracted in a different way to God and also to to pleasing him, whatever way it could, it could happen. But I, I, I think it's the root. I, oh, I, I agree. It's like, that's uh, one thing, again, one of the many things I've learned from the sisters, their life stems from their prayer. And that goes for lay people as well as priests. I, I try to go to daily mass. Uh, when I was working in the city, I did. Now I go probably maybe two to three times during the week when, you know, time allots for it. My wife and I go together. We're both, both working from home. Um, but everything comes from prayer everything. I mean, you need a prayer life. You know, I look at Sunday, like the obligation, that's the bare minimum. I mean, to live a good life. I think that's what's missing in the society. It's Mother Teresa would say it's the electric that goes into the plug to, to get the light on. Like without God, that's the downfall of each individual, but also society itself. And I think that's what we're seeing. People don't see the utility in it. I mean, I live in a neighborhood. It's not a fancy town. It's a middle-class town. No one went to mass on Easter Sunday. Someone's running across the street, giving me like the Italian meat pie, Vinny, my neighbor. He's like coming out in his sweatpants. I'm in the minivan driving to church. No one's going to mass. They don't see the utility in it. And they're missing something because it's the fuel in the car. Without it, we're lost. I mean, we have to We have to almost worry, I, I hope, that with the lifting of the obligation of the Sunday Mass because of the pandemic, now we're over a year of that, I mean, we hope that people are going to come back to Sunday Mass. At some point, you know, the bishops will have to perhaps together, you know, return to that obligation. We'll see how many people now come back to Mass. and. You know, I'm not sure the live stream mass has been, it's not an ob obligation to that, but how much has that really kept people, um, you know, kind of an observant practice, even as a family during the worst times of the pandemic. And, you know, without the mass, we're, we're lost as Catholics and, you know, love for the Eucharist. And, and also we, what we need are, you know, fervent, you know, very prayerful spiritual prayer at masses, not just the kind of in and out the priests themselves, you know, need to pray the mass in a very reverent manner, slowing down, keeping the focus on God, not the priest at all. Right. Father, I could remember you, uh, what's it called? Uh, basically sitting in front of the Eucharist. I mean, like, like with the sisters, I would do it every single week and little by little, it changes you. And I think that this is what the culture needs. They need to see people. You see, like people need, like people believe what they see. And I look at it the way I look at my own spiritual life. It's like people who go to the gym. It's their priority. Well, adoration is a priority. I try to go once a week. The, the rosary is a priority. Just like people do things that are important to them. They go to the gym. They try to eat healthy. They want their kids to go into a good school. They want their kids to play football or baseball. We have to basically dedicate ourselves to a regimen. This is what will change society because it'll change us first and people will see it. That's what's going to bring people back to the mass. I believe that people have to see the joy. And that's what the sisters did for me. I never saw that before, ever, 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 ever. And that happens little by little by little. Um, that's what I think the answer is, to be honest with you, to get people back. We need saints. And like the, you know, the analogy you mentioned about exercise, 
you know, people jog, they work out, and they do that, you know, for their physical life. But there is a, a very clear parallel in the spiritual life. There are spiritual exercises. And, you know, if you pray a rosary consistently every day, you know, if you tried to get into a church, let's say it was is normal working time when churches are open and you know, do that, you know, something that's kind of steady, committed, a rhythm of life, that affects your life. Um, you know, my father went to mass every day down in, in downtown Manhattan. You know, that was decades of that. And of course that affected his life then. And then that became a part of his day. I'm sure that flowed into many aspects of his day then, the fact you have received the Eucharist every day. So you're right. The I'm not sure what's going to happen though, because we're living in a different time now. You know, I think the technology is affecting the the spiritual life. Um, you know, you can't go out and not see people with the phone constantly in their, you know, their attention. And, you know, all of those things diminish the sense of let us look up a little bit toward God. And that's it. That that seems to be don't pray at all. That seems to be our, father, our our problem, Father. There's one thing Joe, Joe and I emphasize on the show all the time. Um, we're not looking to God. Everybody's either, yes, this is a little critical. I know that some people get bent out of shape when you're a little critical or, or heaven forbid, a little judgmental. I mean, and, we, and I fall into it myself sometimes. I find myself on my phone a little bit too much where I should just be using it for phone calls in the front line with Joe and Joe. And that's it. All right. Um, but we either have our, uh, our face in our phone. Or if you want to like look at, let's say, what's going on in America, everybody thinks that like there's a political solution to our problems. Okay, there's oh we'll, we'll figure it out. There's whether it's conservatives or liberals, it doesn't matter. Everybody's got a political solution to all our problems. Father, I don't need to tell you our problems are not political. Our problems are moral. Our problems, particularly as Catholics, are not understanding that John Paul II said Saint Pope Saint John Paul II said, that, or I believe it was Vatican II, um, that the, the, the Eucharist is the source, summit, and center of the church's life. That's why you go to church, as you're saying, Father, every day. Why? Because God needs you to go to church. No, you need to go there because you need God. But it's so hard when we have all these distractions. But people have to figure that out. Like, like, like you have to see the end of yourself. I mean, I saw that. I, I was that kid who went away to college and was wild and then came back as the prodigal son, lost, you know, um, and I knew I needed God. People have to come to that realization. We as Americans, particularly in New York, we have money. You know, we think that we're self-sufficient. And ultimately, all that is a, is a facade. I mean, COVID has shown us that. In a minute, life can change. The, uh, the, the World Trade Center, when it fell, in a minute, life can change. That affected the wealthy. You know, some of the people who are hearing our voice may know people who died during that tragedy. Father, talk about it. We got about a minute. Talk about the need for, for people to make, to, to make this deliberate move towards God, particularly people who want to see some flourishing in, 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 you know, in, in our, in time and space. I mean, leaving aside the fact that the goal is always heaven, but even to change our society, change our culture in about 30 seconds, the, the need to turn to God, and then we'll take a break. I mean, need is one word, but I think also attraction. We have to realize God is so attractive if you get closer to him. And most people are, they don't have that experience, perhaps, how attractive God is, how you, the missionaries of charity, all of that was very attractive to me, that the I was drawn more and more to goodness. And, and I think God himself, to pray in front of the, a tabernacle, for me in my life now, this is something I'm attracted to, not simply, it's not a discipline in my life, mm -hmm. much as I want to do that. And that's what happens to a person if they, you know, if they give it a chance, they're going to be drawn to it. It's like putting yourself in front of a sunset. You know, you're not, you don't have to force yourself to, to, to love that in time. Mm -hmm. 
Father, let's take a break because we want to come back and talk about conversion, not just for ourselves, but then how do we bring that conversion out to others to help and aid in their conversion. So you're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, joined by Father Donald Haggerty of the Archdiocese of New York, talking about his book, Conversion, Spiritual Insights into an Essential Encounter with God. Please make sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content and stick around. We'll talk to on the other side of the break. Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. Every day, we ask the question, what's stopping you from becoming a Catholic? People call in from all over the world to share with us their thoughts, their concerns, their questions about the Catholic faith. And we try to answer those questions, remove objections and misunderstanding. And the fruit is obvious in the lives of the callers. We get testimonies on a daily, weekly basis of those whose lives have been transformed by first encountering the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church on Catholic Radio. Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, is bringing the truth to Connecticut and New York, serving the larger New York City metro area. You can support their ministry by calling 833 888-7884. That's 833-88-TRUTH or VeritasCatholic.com. Remember, Veritas Catholic Network, on the air since August the 21st, 2019. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We are way in the breach with Father Donald Haggerty of the Archdiocese of New York, and we are talking about conversion because that's what we all need, and that certainly is what America needs, spiritual insights into an essential encounter with God. Uh, Make sure you download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so you can have access to all of our station's content, and please make sure to follow Joe and I, please, on Facebook and YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. Joe's okay, I want to follow, just follow up on where we ended the last time. Father, we're talking about, obviously, personal conversion. And it's like anytime, uh, we've all experienced this, the, the smoker who quits smoking, he all of a sudden wants to go out there and tell everybody, you know, you need to quit smoking. Yeah, but you smoked for 30 years. What are you talking about? All right. Talk about how, I, we, Joe and I believe some people talk too much, and we're talkers, as you can see, Father. Um, and some people think that you don't have to talk at all when it comes to attempting to uh, convert others. What's your view on that? In other words, what what in your view is the proper way of taking your own personal conversion and bringing it out there to the larger culture? Well, I mean, that's a good question because I think it depends on, you know, who are we with? Where are we with our family? Is it a, you know, a, a Thanksgiving gathering of, you know, brothers and sisters all together and, or in the, in the workplace, but, I think we have to be led by grace in those things and, you know, and be very honest and sincere about our own, you know, dedication to God. And then I think God provides, you know, what, what he, what he wants to do. I think much, much of conversion takes place because of human contacts. And, you know, we were talking earlier about missionary charity contacts or CFRs or, I mean, we've all been affected by people in our lives, and I don't think those things are planned out. You know, we don't want to put a, uh, you know, we don't want to plan, how am I going to convert my brother or my sister or, you know, this person in the workplace, my boss or employee, but we're given chances and time to speak indirectly sometimes, not to um, so much preach the faith, but perhaps say what has become very important to ourselves. And I think many people should be courageous sometimes to say what has become important to them. So if I was going to mass, let's say in, 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 the, in New York as a lay person every day, I might say that to somebody in the office. They say, well, I'm going to mass every day. I, I can't live without that. And something like that, that indirect statement, that's not saying you have to do this, but this is something that's very meaningful to me or that I do this volunteer work on the weekend or that for me, I need to do this with my children every day. Something that just gives testimony and witness what has become important to, to oneself. And then if you're attracting the person, then it might be the beginning of grace for them. I think that's often the best way. 
Excellent. Thank you, Father. Father, in your book, you talk about the importance of a more radical response to God's will. Um, I think from an intellectual perspective, if you read the church fathers, if you read into the faith, I think if someone is honest with themselves, they'll come to the realization there is truth there. You there If you're being honest, it's one thing, though, to recognize something from an intellectual perspective. It's another thing to see it. I always use the example of Malcolm Muggeridge. He was a brilliant man. He's the one that God used that brought Mother Teresa to the world. He, he went to Calcutta. He heard all the arguments. I'm sure he's even read before he met her. He read about the faith. But that's not what converted him. What converted him was the witness, the radical witness of a four four foot 11 woman living in India, doing the work of God. I mean, that is to me what I think people, we need to get out of the boat. I think these times call for that. We have to show people, not to show them, but to, sh- to basically, we have to get out of the boat. And I could tell like stories, things I've witnessed in my own life with the sisters, with the poor that have blown me away, that have stopped my, me in, in traffic. Talk a little bit about that. Getting out of the boat, living that witness radically. I mean, living a Catholic faith is not, you know, just living routine life. And if, you, if we're serious about it, you know, in the best of errors, when, when it might have been very acceptable to go to daily mass, let's say in New York City or in cities across the country, you know, that's one thing. But to live a radical life, um, most of all, that's, that's a question of, you know, being ready to give witness by action, in, you know, in some manner. And not everybody is made for, you know, preaching or speaking about all, all these things. I, I feel, re, you know, a little bit uh, inadequate myself in speaking about the faith, but we all can act. We all can choose and, you know, live a, live a lifestyle that's very, you know, very authentic in you know, full of integrity in, in these things. And uh, I think that's, that, that, that's the key thing. And, you know, we have to face, too, we're living in a time when, yes, there's a crisis in faith. Many people, maybe not their fault so much, if they're coming from families now when where there is a certain indifference to God. I mean, I, I've quoted a few times in sermons now at St. Patrick's Cathedral, Mother Teresa's words, indifference is the great evil. And if you're indifferent, you know, you really don't care and it doesn't bother you. That's the problem of it. So whether it's indifference to the poor or much worse, indifference to God, indifference to the mass, you know, to our Catholic tradition. So I'm, I'm not sure the, an- the answer is not, you know, now we become a crusader, but to be very, like you're doing with your show here, to be very real in your Catholic practice and then, you give you get you're giving at least you give a chance that people listening to you will be aware there are fellow people there are people who have been caught by you know love for God and live this and want others to share in it. Hmm. So it's hard to say you know for individual people what happens. I mean not to go on too long, but I remember this there's a great moment in the life of Edith Stein, the great saint. Jewish convert who died in Auschwitz as a martyr. And she mentioned before she became a Catholic, she had a very, very striking experience by seeing a woman in Germany go into a Catholic church in the midday, in the afternoon, and she was surprised to see a woman go into the church when there's no time for services. So she walked into the Catholic church and saw this woman on her knees praying in a Catholic church. And she was so struck by this because her only experience of churches or synagogues was that you pray at service times and that's it. Well, that woman may be living, she may have been living who went into the church as a Catholic, a very quiet life, you know, just a good faithful life, paying a visit. And yet, she was instrumental on the way for a future saint. So we never know how simply living faithfulness, you know, our own authentic integrity, how this has effects, you know, in ways we, we don't know. 
It's funny you, you bring up that story. There's two things that come to mind is um, at the prompting of Joe. He doesn't like when I say it. He spearheaded it. Now, we do a um, recently we started a first Saturday men's rosary in here in Bergen County. OK, started out first time was very successful. Fifteen guys. We thought it was going to be three guys. We're on the sidewalk, by the way, in front of the in front of the church with a banner with Our Lady. Um, pray for America. That's what we're, one of the things we're praying for. And then it was a little bit more than 15 guys. And the last one was 30 guys showed up. Okay. And we comment all the time. It's like, you know, because sometimes when you're doing this, Father, when you're trying to lead the life that you're describing, the Catholic life, you say, sometimes like, am I doing any good? I think what you just said is very important to emphasize to those people who want to be more active in the faith. You don't even know, you'll never know until you're in heaven what good you did. That woman probably did not know. I will guess she did not know, all right, that what she was going to do. She was going to actually be part of Edith Stein becoming a saint of the Roman Catholic Church, being martyred and becoming a saint of the Roman Catholic Church. That woman was just going in to pray. That, and I think of the um, the Witness for Life. Uh, you mentioned Sisters of Life down uh, the first Saturday procession down in front of Planned Parenthood, right? Same thing. When you hear all the stories, even coming from Planned Parenthood, when they, they, they say that the no-show rate for women going in for an ab- abortions is well over 50% when there's people praying on the sidewalk. Okay. I, I think it's so important that, that what you said, and I just brought up those two is, is just to illustrate your point. Be active. Don't worry about, you know, you're not going to know who you converted. As you said, leave it to God. Let, let, let him take your actions and do what he will with it. But I think that's very important. Don't, don't hesitate. Just go ahead and go ahead and do it. But you know what it is? I think what stops people from that action is we're afraid. Fear is the tool of the devil. And also we have to come to the realization, God is real. He's as real as I am talking right now. He is in the tabernacle. When you know that, everything changes. He is real when you go to reconciliation with a priest. That is an encounter. When you know that, you'll take a chance and it builds on itself. It builds on itself. And to, to your point, that story with Ter- Teresa of Avila, you don't know what you can do. You mean Edith Stein? Edith Stein. I always use because Avila was. He was, she was, she was devoted, to, I guess, to Teresa of Avila. So Joe always calls her Teresa of Avila. But, but, but Edith Stein, because <laughs> she read a book about Teresa of Avila and that led to her conversion too. But anyway, I digress. But it's you don't know what you can do by one action. And it's things like that. Like sometimes I always tell a story. I was on a bus one time and there was going to be a really bad fight. And an old man walked in the middle of the fight. He was like Moses and he stopped the fight. I'll never forget that. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not, I don't want to toot my own horn. I was on a bus and a guy was going to fight because of a bicycle. And I broke the fight up because of that old man. I, Like, he doesn't even know me. Life, this is what we have to do. Like, you have to get out of the boat. Christ told us this. We have to be like, you have to be like Jesus. He tells us to not be afraid. We can't be afraid. Yeah, I think what what you're saying, too, and um, and, uh, first, Joe, (laughs) mentioned, uh, I think it's very much, people should be aware that you meet very attractive people if you go and pray in front of an abortion clinic, you know, I mean, the, the people praying, if you go, the best people I have to say that I've met in my life, and there are probably greater people, but my best people that I've met in my life have been volunteers with the missionaries of charity. I've met great people over the years, sometimes in other countries, but certainly here in the United States. And if you put yourself, sometimes a person might be afraid to do something because they'll be all alone. You know, like what you described just now, Joe, well, you're doing that all alone on that bus and people could be afraid, but they don't realize if you go to settings where there are, you know, a little bit more radical choice, like in front of an abortion clinic or praying, you know, in something in a a church group, you're gonna meet great people. Hmm. You know, these are people who are very alive spiritually, you know, they might be very human and a little bit eccentric too, but happy, good people. Mm. And, you know, I don't think people realize that, that sometimes a person thinks a very religious person is very dour or 
you know, uh, not fun. There's no, no, nothing enjoyable in that. It's all penance. That's hardly the case. And you meet very good people around because, and that's natural that God supernaturally, you know, lifts those people to be, to be attractive people also. Mm. Father, oh, yeah, I just want to remind everybody, if you're just joining us, you're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, and we're having a great conversation about conversion. And I want to talk about mercy. I know yes. Joe had a question about mercy. We want to talk about this, uh, but we are discussing Father Donald Haggerty's book, Conversion, Spiritual Insights into an Essential Encounter with God. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe. We talked a lot about mercy, uh, Father, obviously reaching out to the poor. That's what the missionaries charity do. Um, that's what we're called to do, obviously, as Catholics active in the world. Um, but in your book, you delineate very clearly the, uh, the, the repercussions of sin and the proper understanding of mercy. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think there is a, um, you know, in the church, we've kind of drifted over time into a perhaps an excessive understanding of mercy. And what I mean by that is mer God's mercy is unlimited. And we see that in the great scene of the, what we call the good thief on the cross. You know, he was more likely a murderer and a man who probably lived, you know, did bad things in his life. But the mercy of God is there to our last breath offered to the soul. And so it's possible always to receive the mercy of God. But there's a requirement also for that, that we see that with that man on the cross, that the need to turn to our Lord in repentance, you know, repudiating sin, saying, you know, how awful the things that I did in my life or that I've been doing. And, you know, mercy requires also our step toward our Lord. So I, I don't think it's, I think it's a danger. We see, we saw that in the years of the dropping off of confession, you know, and the church has always taught clearly, you know, certain sins are serious. They're mortal sins. You know, you don't have to be living a terrible, terrible life to commit a mortal sin. You can be a good person and commit a mortal sin. And once you commit a mortal sin, then the need is to go to the sacramental life of an for an absolution. So the danger is to think that God, you know, washes over with his mercy, you know, every life without anything done on our own part. And to me, that's, that would almost play into the devil's, you know, uh, uh, work that we don't really have to turn to God in repentance with a desire for conversion. I mean, sometimes you meet this in, in confessional, you know, practice as a priest, a person may be sorry for a sin, but they don't intend to discontinue it. So if you have people, for instance, you know, let's say they're living together outside of marriage. That could be in a second marriage when they didn't have a, an annulment. Or there's a non-sacramental you know, life, and they're living together. And if they confess that sin and they can intend to continue living together in a relationship, the you can't be absolved at that point. So the, the mercy of God does not, you know, take care of everything unless there is a desire to seek a, you know, a, a change in life also. I think it's important to emphasize because, uh, and again, we're Father, we're Joe and I. Whether we're to, whether we're on our podcast, right? Confession always comes up. Whether we're having a religious conversation, the need to re repent um, and 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 bring your sins to Christ. One of the things we have to do is educate people on confession. Unfortunately, in America, we have the Hollywood version of confession, and a lot of times people don't realize that. And I, I firmly believe there's a lot of people who don't realize that what you described. Uh, correct me if. I'm wrong, Father, that would be the sin of presumption, um, where you you just continue to do things you're doing and say, well, I'll just go to confession, that type of thing. We have to emphasize to people in confession, there is a firm purpose of amendment, okay? It doesn't guarantee you're never going to sin again, but you're, you, you, you say and you promise that you're going to try not to and you're going to amend your ways. It's so unfortunate that we've allowed Hollywood to tell Americans what, you know, what, what the confessional is all about. So we're glad, I'm glad you clarified that. Cause I think 
in fairness to a lot of people, a lot of people don't know. I think a lot of times they don't know. I think many people do, but sometimes people just don't know because they're either not being taught on the one hand and they're getting bad information through our our American culture on the, on the other hand. And also, like we're talking about conversion. Confession is a great opportunity to convert. I mean, um, I think about this sometimes when I walk past a church in New York City. One confession changes your life. How many people are carrying a burden? One confession with a priest for 10 minutes can change your life. It doesn't cost anything. This is what I guess we have to be aware of, but I think we have to practice. Also, frequent confession. I try to go to confession once a month. Um, I'm not killing people, but it's a way to grow in virtue. Like, talk a little bit about that, Father, because I think as Catholics, we want to obviously grow in virtue, live a heroic, virtuous life. And when we go to confession frequently, God almost puts ointment on our wounds and we change little by little. We all need to change. Everyone's trying to change. Talk a little bit about the need for frequent confession, maybe once a month as a practice. Well, absolutely. I just want to say, though, um, to the previous Joe, that um, I think that's a good uh, it's a good thought too. sometimes people are struggling, you know, with sin. They're in a process you know, of conversion. It's not like one one major conf- confession and now they never sin again. Sometimes there's there is struggle and it's good to be aware if you're struggling and at the same time using the confessional. This is also your path to, you know, more fully putting that all behind you eventually. So keeping, you know, that steady, humble act of going to confession is an important thing. You know, the presumption is, can be that, you know, I don't really need, God is going to forgive me anyway, you know, that I'm not so bad. That's a presumptuous, you know, thought if there's serious sin there and not good. And I think, you know, frequent confession should be seen also as an act of humility. And a person who might say, well, I, I haven't been to confession in 10 years, and but you know, I go to mass, I'm a good Catholic, you know, I don't I don't do bad things. But it's almost like saying, I don't really need Jesus to die on a cross for me then. Mm. You know, confession is a way of being humble, even with small sins and venial sins, and saying, you know, Lord, I need you. And I need help with this anger I may be experiencing, or my frustrations, my irritations, you know, my envies, my, you know, my pride, these things that, you know, afflict human beings. When you go to confession, that's, a, that's an act of God upon the soul in that moment. And for sure, you know, strengthens the spiritual life. And it's an act of humility. Mm-hmm. Teresa went to confession every week, as her sisters do these are not, this is not a person committing great sin, but a person with great humility, aware that God touches the soul in that act. Yeah, we, we also do try to emphasize to people more than anything, it is a set, the confession is a sacrament of the Catholic Church. And even if, even though our venal sins are forgiven at Mass, we know that. We must say, how many times during Mass, forgive us or have mercy on us? Uh, we know that, okay? But there's grace there that's such a valuable treasure. Why would you leave it on the table? It's there for you. If I have an anger issue, that does not devolve into mortal sin, okay? But I bring it to confession. There's grace there. And it's, again, it's because we need it. You know, we need that grace. Maybe we stop committing even those venal sins. Remember, we were talking earlier about being saints. You could achieve that with God's grace. You could, become, you could even get rid of all those annoying little venal sins. In other words, just simply by, as you said, Father, humbling yourself, taking a few minutes, going to confession. I will say this just to put a finer point on it. Um, there was a while ago when I used to work a lot of lunches in New York because I work in a restaurant in the city right down the block from St. Patrick's. I can't tell you how many times I left during my break, walked down to St. Patrick's, and I was, even if I got shut out of the line, I was happy that there was a line for confession. There was in the afternoon that there was a line of 10 to 15 people at St. Patrick's Cathedral for people who are going there 
to get that yes. grace. So we did want to talk about, uh, yes, we have time for about, yeah, we have time, Father, for about five minutes, but this is an important question that we wanted to ask you. Yeah, your book talks about uh, a second conversion. Talk about that idea. I've never really heard that before. Well, I encountered that idea some years ago. Um, the original thought was from a Jesuit, Father Louis Lalliman, who in the 1600s was a Jesuit in France, but he was also a novice master for at least one of the North American martyrs. These eight Jesuits who um, experienced horrific, you know, tortures and martyrdom. And he was teaching, he may have been a novice master to others, but he, uh, of those men, but he taught that even after a final commitment in your life, you know, speaking to Jesuits in that case, even after that final commitment, you still are awaiting, you know, a juncture in life, you know, perhaps five years after the final commitment, 10 years, in which you should awaken to a need for a further leap in life. You know, a second greater surrender of one's life. You know, when you're seeing now the circumstances, of what does this final commitment really mean now? And then a second kind of great act before God where, you know, we can call it an act of abandonment to his will, a great act of surrender, you know, a second great gift of one's life, even after, you know, one has made a, a serious commitment to him. And I think that that is a very fruitful thought because, you know, perhaps in our 30s, our 40s, you know, 10, 15 years into a marriage, when you really realize, I need to make this choice now more deeply before God. I think that has a very strong impact. I know when I, I always bring this up during retreats with, with sisters, or with priests now, and and I think the that really does resonate with many people, the realization that well along into life, I have to reach down deeply in my interior life now and place it entirely before God and, and offer my life all over again, leaving him free to do whatever he wants. And, you know, this Father Laliman may have been talking, they knew that men were getting, you know, killed in time in, uh, in the new world. And he may have been talking about that second conversion is a readiness even for martyrdom. So, I think it's a very fruitful, in my experience, it's a very good thing in midlife or mid-30s to realize it's time to take a further leap toward God. Yeah, Mother Teresa said, I've read a number of books on her life, when she left uh, the school that she taught at and she was a principal, that was harder than when she left her mother at 18. She loved what she did, yet she was called and she left it. Um, again, fear. We're all afraid. Uh, and and I, I think I can't stress that enough. I, I think that's why, like, it's like an athlete. We have to keep up with these practices because alone we can't make those steps. Many people know the truth. They know the truth about themselves. They know the truth about the church, but they don't want to change. We need God. And like I said, that is a bold move, what she did. Most people would never do that. She had a great job. She, she was doing God's will. She was the principal of, of, a, of a nice school. She left it. You know what I mean? Why? What? You know, if you think about human nature, it's fear. And we have, and we have our work cut out for us, Father, in this culture, because what Joe's talking about is radical sacrifice. What we're talking about and what we mentioned, radical conversion. I, again, this may sound a little judgmental. We have a hard time in this country canceling Netflix or, or, or HBO. That's considered to be too much of a sacrifice. Father, in one minute or so, uh, just put a finer point on it. And I would like for your comments also on the need to accept that we're gonna, if we really wanna change things, not only for ourselves, but also for the society in general, the need for sacrifice and also end father with where people could buy your book. Well, Joe, that's a great, you know, conclusion to our conversation, even this word and reality of sacrifice. You know, when I was growing up, that, that word was very, you know, common. The nuns were speaking it, the parents at home were speaking it. You know, sacrifice for your little brother, let him have the last piece of cake or, 
And that was a, that was a common thing. But sacrificial living is crucial for marriage. It's meant to be part of religious life and priesthood. That evaporated and dissipated in, in so much of life. That's in part why we have somewhat of a crisis in, in Catholic practice now. Well, let's try to emphasize that to people. And Father, where could people buy your book? Well, it's published by Ignatius Press. There are three other books on prayer subjects, uh, contemplative provocations also, the contemplative hunger, and more recently, contemplative enigmas. And these are all published by Ignatius Press. Or Amazon also has them available. Awesome. Father Donald Haggerty, thank you so much for coming on the front line with Joe and Joe. Hopefully we'll have you back soon. We'll pick another topic and we'll get right into it again. Thank you so much, Joe and Joe, and God bless you for having me. Thank you. All right. So we want to thank you all also, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us here in The Breach, The Frontline with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. Please, for all Veritas content, be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app. And please uh, follow Joe and I on social media, on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.